Welcome to Story Smack. This is Story Smack, a podcast about stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture. My name is A.B. Sigler, audiobook narrator and founding partner at Empty Set Entertainment. And each week I'm jo- joined by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler and screenwriter Rob Otto. How are you guys, gentlemen? I'm good. Rob, how are you? I am feeling like I want to go into the uh, desert of the truth or um, what the hell does he call it? Uh, I don't desert know. of reality? <laughs> Yeah, sure. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to scorch the sky, whatever that means. (laughs) Yeah, yes, yes. We do know that we're the ones who scorch the sky. So we got that part right. Woo. All right. So this week, if you guys can't tell already, we are discussing the (laughs) 1999 movie, The Matrix. Um, Can you give us, FDO, can you give us the movie guy synopsis? Uh Uh-oh, maybe. (laughs) If you can read it. I'm going to give the movie synopsis in my best Lawrence Fishburne. Neo believes that Morpheus, an elusive figure considered to be the most dangerous man alive, can answer this question. What is the Matrix? Neo is contacted by Trinity, a beautiful stranger who leads him into an underworld where he meets Morpheus. They fight a brutal battle for their lives against a cadre of viciously intelligent secret agents. It is a truth that could cost Neo something more precious than his life. Uh, it's interesting, you guys, because he <laughs> also uses that voice when he is um, speaking for my dog. So is, is he a bad guy? Is a Squeaky a bad guy? Squeaky, of course, is a bad guy. Is a bad guy, of course. Yeah, Squeaky, of course, is a bad guy. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk about the... Box office goodies That's of me. this movie. Yes. For sure. This is a, always a fun part for me because uh, it's really hard to imagine a lot of times. This is one of those where the special effects cost more then than they cost now, but they probably look a little better now than they did then. But they really did a good job of it. it uh, the Matrix cost $63 million to make back in 1999, which or 1998, I guess, which is about $105 million in today's dollars. It made... Whew, $466.6 million at the box office, which is about $777.6 million today. That's so, just the first movie. Yes, and wow. by all accounts, a smash hit. It's an interesting thing because I think this world sort of really did kind of s- sort of smash into our world as a whole unique thing, and to a certain degree still has it. Um, I will say one of the... Uh, my favorite things about it was this this new as a big movie buff back in the day seeing bullet bullet time for the very first time was it was amazing incredible. to me it, it was, was absolutely it's one of my favorite things that every time you, I see it I remember like we watched it again this movie last night and I remember what it felt like to be like what how did they do that and I actually felt it again what about you Robbie what's your favorite yeah mine's along the same lines and uh, especially like all the way that they mixed practical effects like they that wasn't digital the bullet time stuff because it was done with still cameras many many movie cameras and then all edited together they did the same thing Mm -hmm. when trinity in the opening scene you know gets floats in the air getting ready to kick the policeman and then they do the 360 turn around her it just it just blew me away and now you see stuff like that all the time but the wachowski's just innovated all this and did as much as they could with practical effects. And that's pretty freaking cool. And what about you? I've got two favorite things. I think the first five minutes of this movie, the first five minutes of the screenplay to give you 
yes, there's a sense of normality. Also, there's some absolutely bonkers stuff going on, Mm -hmm. setting the stage for all these questions that actually do get answered later. And then the second favorite thing is uh, while researching this, I discovered what is now a 20-year-old site called whythematrixsucks.com. <laughs> I highly recommend... Whoops. Lost, lost my glasses. Uh-oh. Out of the Matrix. I, yeah, I'm out of the yeah, Matrix. I don't know how Lawrence Fishburne did it, but that thing just sitting on his nose like that. I okay. uh, highly recommend everybody uh, get yourself a cocktail, take 15 minutes, and go read whythematrixsucks.com. <laughs> it's absolutely hysterical. Uh, some fairly accurate criticism and just some general crappiness as well. You look good in those, baby. Yeah, I, I would have to, the whole time, just sit like this, though. But we forget this movie is that old, and when this movie came out, you know, it was the cutting edge of all the technology, and all of this virtual reality stuff seemed so doable, and we were right on the cusp of it, but then you read whythematrixsucks.com, and it's literally a 20-year-old website, and it's all janky with graphics and everything. It's the best. <laughs> Should nice. we talk about the cast yeah, and the crew Yeah, let's talk about the cast bit? and the crew. Let's go switch over to main for us, baby, and then, no, we got to go to actors. There we so, go. Let's, yeah, let's, let's we'll start. We'll it. start with the Wachowskis, of course. The Wachowskis originally conceived the storyline for The Matrix as a uh, comic book. Mm-hmm. That's not true, baby. I'm, oh, it's not? Yeah, no. Sorry. Um, no, it is. And, and they had both previous, at the time that they finally sold the script, they both previously written um Commer- or, uh, sorry, comic books for Marvel or comics for Marvel. And they had actually worked on this this movie, this vision, and the, the thing they actually shot for about 14, uh, for about five and a half years, and they went through 14 full iterations of the script wow. before um, before the final product. And when the final product arrived, it had a storyboard with 500 boards, man, oh, man. which is exactly what you need, I think, to create a universe like they did. Um there's a few other things that we'll talk about when we're talking in general, but I think that they really worked very hard to um, to stay to, to create this whole universe and then sort of stay in the same kind of realm as filmmakers. Because after the commercial success of The Matrix, the, Wach- the Wachowskis wrote and uh, produced the 2005 film V for Vendetta, also a little dystopian and dark and everything else. Okay. And um, and uh, and continue to make movies. Now, this is the first movie, the first Matrix movie that both sisters will not be directing. Uh, Lily has the one decided coming up in, in the December. one coming out uh, okay. out this month. Lily uh, had just come off of back to back to back to back to back projects and wanted a break. So, and that's uh, there's a, apparently a lot of info on the internet, a lot of distress around whether or not something happened to the Wachowskis, but <laughs> she just needed a break. That was all. Wanting to take a break before the fourth movie of this. Juggernaut is amazing. And then, of course, we seem to have him on almost every other week, Mr. Cameron Reeves. <laughs> but there's so many pretty pictures. <laughs> he underwent back surgery before he started working on the film. A fusion of his spine had caused the beginnings of paralysis in his legs. Reeves was still recovering when flight training started, and he couldn't kick for the first two months. He has only 80 lines in the first 45 minutes of the film. Before his character's final speech at the end, Cameron Reeves never has more than five sentences in a row to speak. So there's not a lot of soliloquies for the then young man. <laughs> he lost 15 pounds, and he shaved his entire body, including his eyebrows, to film the scene where Neo wakes up in the real world attached to the machines. It is also why one of the last... That was also one of the last scenes filmed for the movie. It really does look like a completely, completely different person yeah. than that. Honestly, I, I look at him, and I, I still really can't see him. Right, I even tried to like pause it last night and like cover mm-hmm. up where his hair should be yep. and stuff. Yep. And I swear it does not look like Keanu Reeves. Like I'm like, did they use some other actor? But no, it, it's him. It I, just 
That's how weird and bald he was, people look. At looked. the time, he was already reasonably slim. And so him losing yeah. 15 pounds and then dark hair. Sh- I mean, it would be the same thing for you, Robbie. Dark, dark-haired humans shaving their eyebrows looks yeah. crazy yeah. pants. It looks, yeah. looks Voldemort. Because if you even, yeah, very, I was about to say a similar thing. When, when he's in the interrogation room and Agent Smith um, gums up his mouth and mm-hmm. takes away his, his lips, he looks a lot like Keanu Reeves with a physical effect there. Like, I, yeah. I mean, it's a good physical effect, but he still yeah. looks very much like Mr. Anderson. Mr. Not so, Anderson. not so much in the pod <laughs> at Crazy. all. It's very good. And uh, it's because I was Rob, also trying to make a dig at Scott's bald head there, but it just flew right past you guys. <laughs> yeah, so. basically, basically. Uh, I think you would look still like Rob Otto, but without eyebrows, because what Keanu Reeves does all the time, he, he covers up his demon ears. If you watch that, those scenes. He's got some horribly misshapen ears up top, and I'm glad he has at least one flaw. But I think that's what it is. <laughs> internet boyfriend with the internet's boyfriend with big ears. The moment yeah, when Neo was... vomits after leaving the Matrix for the first time was apparently not acting. The story from the set was that Keanu Reeves ate a chicken pot pie that disagreed with him. So I would love to know that he was so in the moment of acting that he's like, "Hey." I don't feel so good. Can we roll the camera? And then (laughs) right on camera. That is incredible. And now, I, is this where we should tell the story about Scott eating 48 pounds of chicken and biscuits and, uh, and, and releasing that? No, that, that's not the time for this If we have story. time at the end of this, Rob, we will. Oh, okay. I All doubt right, we'll have but if wait, we do. If wait, we do. that's a real story? Oh, yes. Oh, oh my goodness. Yes, we will real. have time for we, that, that's, I a whole, that's a whole 30-minute story for Sigler and Place. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And now, of course, one of my favorite actors, Mr. Lawrence Fishburne. Rob, tell us about this man. I mean, what can you say about Lawrence Fishburne? He's just fantastic. And the funny thing is, um, a lot of people and a lot of people that they wanted to get to star in this movie started reading the script and were just like, I don't get it. I don't understand. It's all very philosophical. And Lawrence Fishburne's like, are you people all stupid? Because he's just like, I read it. I get it. I think it's freaking amazing. I'm in, right? Um, But the funny thing is he was worried that it was so smart that nobody in Hollywood would ever pay money to make this movie because nobody with money is ever going to understand the script. So he's like, I'm in. I just don't think you're ever going to get this movie made. But if you right. do, I'm in. I get it. I understand. So um, so as a New York City kid, went to the high school performing arts. Um, uh, he was, uh, in fact, his actually he was named after Laurence Olivier. So the fact yeah. that this kid who's named after Laurence Olivier goes on to become an amazing actor. And one of the pinnacles of acting of our time is pretty darn cool, mm-hmm. right? And starts, uh, like, you know, he, of course, like, is in, because he's a city kid, he's in, like, I can't quite remember, but I remember reading an interview with him where he, well, he talks a lot about being confused with Samuel L. Jackson and Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, right. It was like a joint, it was, I don't know why they were joint interviewed, but it was this thing where this happens often and it happens even when they're together at a press junket. <laughs> they get asked about the wrong And they role. just, yeah. And so like they went back and forth. And the thing that I remember about it was Lawrence Fishburne uh, saying like, I believe that my work stands for itself. And if you look up Lawrence Fishburne, there's not a lot of info really about him out there. Like he's not... Where, you know, Pacino talks method and De Niro talks method because they're at a, you know, they're part of their life where they're teaching and whatever as well. Lawrence Fishburne wants his work to stand on its own, which is fascinating that he keeps getting confused with Samuel L. Jackson because there's things like this. 
He was in Apocalypse Now, you guys. Yeah, right, like, exactly right. Yeah. Lawrence Fishburne's um, in Apocalypse Now as a teenager. What? That's hello. a huge, and, huge marker. And people are like, Sam, how's it going? <laughs> I don't understand. And he was in Quicksilver, you know, with uh, with with Kevin Bacon. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when he was Larry Fishburne. I mean, come on. How could... Yeah. That's... Yeah. It's so, and, <laughs> and, he's, <laughs> and he's seem, seemingly fine with people, can you know, just having yeah. his work stand... Or Samuel L. Jackson's work stand for him, I guess. Yeah. Well, there's, yeah, there's yeah, worse yeah. things well, than, than to be mistaken for Samuel L. Jackson, yeah. for sure. Like the biggest box office star of all time. Like I, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, hasn't, haven't Samuel Jackson between the Star Wars movies and the Avengers movies, he's, hasn't he made more money than anyone yes. ever in yeah. the history? He's yeah, the yeah, highest grossing movie star of getting, all uh, time you know, is yeah. Samuel L. Jackson. Mistaken for him at the cash checking company. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, now we got to talk about Carrie Ann Moss. Hey, tell us about this actress. So this is kind of fun, too, because... Because Carrie Ann Moss, um, uh, this is her, not only her first big movie, but it is her first movie. It's huge for her. The first time she sees herself on the big screen, on the silver screen, is the completed screening copy of The Matrix that she works, yeah, yeah, that she watches (laughs) with the crew. Yeah, it's it's kind of a cool thing. Um, And she was so absolutely in it to win it. Um, We'll talk a little bit more about this, but the entire crew and cast worked together for several months before the show, before the production began to get uh, their fight training done, their choreography done, all of that done. Very early in that process, Carrie Ann Moss actually, or very late in that process, the training process, she twists her ankle uh, training and doesn't tell anybody because they think that she she's afraid that they may recast her if she can't do the shoot. <laughs> so she starts the shoot after months of practice with a twisted ankle because she would not tell anybody. So she just sort of powered through and says that she'd get the part or she'd get to do her part. That's how the, good of an actress she is. She yeah. can act like she doesn't have a twisted ankle. I mean, come on. Come on. And to me, I feel like this is one benefit to, like, really a true benefit that she didn't anticipate of having the practical effects. So she was always in a – often the main actors were in a Peter Pan rig so they could help with the jumping and stuff. Mm-hmm. And all of that meant she could put a little less, less pressure on her twisted <laughs> ankle because she was supported oh, from, the, so from the above. Um, on the final day of her shooting, um, if you guys have never been in any kind of a production at – as each actor raps, there's normally a little moment where there's a round of applause and a thank you because they won't be coming back to work the next day because they're done with their shoot. On her last day of shooting, the Wachowskis presented her um, with a champagne bottle inscribed with congratulations. Now you're an action hero. And, uh, and like I said, the very first time she saw the first full cut of the movie was the first time she saw herself on a movie screen, which I think is fantastic. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is that the, we've talked about this already in our intro for this show, but the Neo Trinity um, three-minute lobby shootout scene uh, took it. about 10 days to shoot, and there is no CGI in it. Come I on. find that it's so incredible. fantastic. And there's uh, there's even um, we saw it last night. And uh, there's a there's if you remember that scene, the last thing that happens is the elevator goes ding and it opens and there's or I don't think it opens, but there's a ding. And then there's all this debris and smoke and everything. And one of the um, pillars falls apart like the mm-hmm. marble breaks. Yeah. Not planned. Just a total. <laughs> and they leave it in the opening scene because it's I, so great. I watched that last night. I watched that last night. Like, that's a nice touch. They must have had, like, put that up and then had nope. boop, a little milk. No, nope. it's, it's, I, nope. I think of it as, because I knew that going into what, we also watched it last night. And going into that, I thought, that's very much like the, I now know when Han Solo, when, when 
Leia says to Han Solo, I love you, and he says, I know, that's an ad-libbed moment. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter. Every time it gets me. (laughs) Same thing with that pillar. It's interesting that you mentioned that Carrie Carrie Ann Moss had a sprained ankle, and she didn't want to tell anybody because she might get recast. Because we have to talk about, oh, I got yeah. the, I got my guys messed up. Hey, we will, Joey Pants. We're going to skip past Joey Pants so I can continue with what I thought was an awesome segue. <laughs> I forgot Hugo Weaving. We're going to talk about Hugo. <laughs> we're going to talk guys. about Hugo Weaving. We're going to go back and look Carrie Ann Moss for a second. I forgot Hugo, Hugo Weaving. But Hugo had to undergo hip surgery. Well, here, hold on. Injured. I'll put my glasses back on. There we yeah, go. Just pretend like I'm Hugo Weaving. Okay? There you go. There you go. We'll just, you know what? We'll go back Mr. to the guest scenes. We can just, that's just stare up. <laughs> Hugo had to undergo hip surgery after being injured during flight training. This completely shifted the shooting schedule, and Weaving's fight scenes were completed at the end of the production in order to allow time for him to heal. Agent Smith refers to Cypher, who we'll talk about in a moment, as Mr. Regan during their meeting. This makes him the only character in the movie besides Neo to be identified by both their Matrix identity and their real-world handle identity. Mm. Is that it for Hugo? That is it for Hugo. Now we move on to the wonderful... Wonderful guy who stole the show, Mr. Joey and, Pence. And, and always steals the show. Always steals, right? always I mean, steals the but show. But he subtly, Listen, subtly, just he effortlessly. Joe Pantoliano is in a lot of movies. I mean, you look him up on IMDb, you got to scroll and scroll and scroll. And listen, not all of them are winners, right? <laughs> but I dare you to find a Joey Pants performance that isn't a winner. Because there's mm-hmm. just something about this guy. I mean, we're talking all the way back to, you know, Risky Business. And, and I mean, he's just been in some iconic movies and some really trash movies. But you always get the best out of Joe Pantoliano. Mm-hmm. Pantoliano. And I think he's I think he's wonderful. And he plays Cypher. He, um, you know, uh, um, what is it? Uh, spoiler alert. Um, he, he, he double crosses everybody. Mm-hmm. And he's the one who says, you know, to Neo, I bet you're thinking the same thing I'm thinking. Why didn't I take the blue pill, right? I mean, and he he wants to go back in the Matrix. He's pissed that he's not in the Matrix anymore. For sure. I got a feeling that's the way a lot of people would react. And that's why, you know, in later movies, they talk about mass unplugging everybody that most people don't want to be unplugged. I I thought... Kind of an odd thing. And the thing you're looking at the screen now, you guys listen to the podcast, can't see it, but it's it's Joey Pants looking at the steak on the fork, looking Mm -hmm. at it longingly... And th- there's so much, there's a lot of batshit crazy in the screenplay. Well, for sure. But there's so much exquisite, subtle work in the screenplay. Yeah. And this guy, the thing he longs for the most, it isn't, I don't want to go back and have children. I don't want to go back and have a fantastic yeah. love affair with an amazing spouse. He's like, I want to eat goddamn steak again. I want yeah. to be taken <laughs> away by the creature comforts of life. And this particular scene you're talking about is beautiful because... We, of course, he is a villain in this movie. He is, right? But Mm -hmm. he's only a villain if you have a human perspective. If you're Agent Smith or you're Joey Pants or Cypher in this movie, it's a reasonable, rational thing for him to want to forget that that stake isn't real. And we treat him as a villain because we're human. But in reality, I'm not sure— He's been awake for nine years, yeah. right? He's been eating that mush, that, mm-hmm. you know, nutrient-enriched mush mm-hmm. for nine freaking years and nothing but mush for nine freaking years except when he's in the Matrix. 
I I don't think I could go on a nine-year mush diet. I'm yeah. just saying. I think it would drive me freaking batty, too. Well, and you see this happen with the crew of the Nebuchadnezzar a lot in the in this right before he goes, we know he's a bad guy um, mm-hmm. and things go wrong with Tank. You know, he it goes wrong. Um, yeah. He they talk about like, oh, but OK, so, yeah, Morpheus thinks you're the one. And and all of the stuff around Neo being the one is cagey because everybody has a prophecy that only works together, but they don't mm-hmm. work apart. So like Harry Ann Moss is supposed to fall in love with the one and Neo gets told he's not the he's not the you have the chops, kid, but I don't think you feel it. The fuck does that? What does that mean? Like, what does that mean? Like it's so unfair. But Listen, you think just just have a cookie, you'll be fine. Right? But but uh, Cipher has literally watched Morpheus do this. Yes, guys. I pro- okay. Yes, I was wrong the yeah. last sixteen times. This, yes, is right, the exactly. guy. this is my guy. This time, this is my I guy. got him. And so you think like he's got to be like, dude, what did I do, man? Uh-huh. I'm old. I just want to eat steak and have the matrix and because this guy's going to do this his whole life and i kind of understand that i don't think i would have made that choice but i understand that choice a lot in the climate ravaged world of 2072 the city of pura stands as a miraculous green haven pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes fires floods and droughts in a time when the world outside is unsafe it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here's the, here's the big thing. If you're really paying attention to the very first couple of lines of this movie, um... You know Joey Pants is a bad guy because he's talking to Carrie Ann Moss. And Carrie Ann says, is this a secure line? And Cypher says, well, of course it is. Yeah, absolutely it is. And, of course, they trace her because it's not a fucking secure line. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> what's, I already did that. What's in this blue drink I'm having <laughs> yeah. right here? It's not a secure line because he's giving all the information to yeah. Agent Smith and all of his cronies. So. Right from the get-go, no, it never comes up again. She never asks, how did they trace me? Mm -hmm. They just go along and say, boy, they're getting better at what they do. And no, 
No, they're not. But if you guys, uh, we're going to move on to some general notes about the movie here in a second. But if any of you guys rewatch this again, make sure you watch with remote control in your hand and pause at one minute, pause at three minutes, pause at five minutes, and think about the amount of elements the Wachowskis introduced in that time, yeah. the amount yeah. of suspense, the amount of questions they, ser they serve up that they do actually answer, and then watch it at 10 minutes. It is um, really a masterclass in how to create an entire mythos out of scratch, have it be mostly internally consistent, yep. mm -hmm. and hook you from square one with all these teasers. It's a wonderful, wonderful script. Uh, Tim Fairhouse in the chat room uh, for the video uh, cast that we're doing, so you can't see this if you're obviously on the podcast, asks, is he really a villain or is he more of an anti-hero? And I think that's a terrific question. I would posit he's sort of both. He could make the choice, right? He could figure out a way back into the Matrix and double-cross the agents and not the Nebuchadnezzar. But he doesn't do that because he's mad at everybody. He doesn't give – he doesn't care at all. And I also think he's probably an anti-hero because his storyline, of course, we – just like Robbie just said, that we never follow up on where the fail was in that original um, a, a, a extraction. Mm -hmm. He – he he is absolutely surrendered. The, the agents care even less about him than the humans do. Uh, and we never follow up on that either. Like, he never got anything except exactly what he fucking deserved. Now, here's, <laughs> here's an interesting point, though, to his question. The vast majority of people don't want to be unplugged. They don't want to know that they're in the Matrix. So, from their perspective, the vast majority of people would say, boy... Cypher's right. Can we stop these weird elements from messing with our reality? Because yeah. I got to get back to my nine to five job, which yeah. I loathe. And yet I go to every single day. Mm -hmm. So uh, I don't know. That's a good point. That's a really good point, actually. All I'm saying. But he can go back. He now, can be rich. He can be somebody important. He can eat steak all day long. <laughs> exactly or just right. the last part. He'd be fine with the I last that, part, too. <laughs> uh, seeing as that we, we are not vegetarians or vegans. We just eat less mammals. Yeah. And I admit, I watch uh, Joey Pants eating that thing. I'm like, oh, that looked real oh, good. That good. That now, looked real the good, good news is, I need an, I eat enough mammals for all three of us. So we're, 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 we're good. We're, we're doing just fine. Taking one for the team. <laughs> yes. This is so amazing. let's talk about the idea that nobody, that this was too smart for Hollywood, right? Yep. The Wachowskis brought this to a lot of people over, what, over five years it took them to finally get somebody to buy in. Nobody wanted this, and it's interesting. The more kind of virtual reality programming that went out there, the less people liked it. Like, they would bring up Johnny Mnemonic, which is a, you know, a, another film that starred Keanu Reeves, and it is not a good movie. No, it is really not. poorly done. And so all the Hollywood folks, all they could see with their money was, well, nobody's doing this sci-fi virtual reality. It's not working. And right. the Wachowskis are like, it's because they're doing it really, really poorly. There's a clever way to do this that people will be able to relate to. And again, unlike, you know, Lawrence Fishburne, it went over so many people's heads. Yeah. Finally, they got it. And they were like, okay, fine. Here's $10 million, said Warner Brothers. And of course, the Wachowskis asked for $80 million. Okay, And so this is how sure they were. And, and I got to tell you, this takes some some huevos, which is funny because, you know, they're yeah. transgender <laughs> and they're women. Um, but they took the $10 million oh, that they got and they spent it all on the opening scene. They spent $10 million on the opening scene, 
brought it back to Warner Brothers and said, listen, you give us the money we really want, this is what you're going to get. And wow. they saw Carrie Ann Moss floating in midair with the cameras all around her and went, okay, we'll give you $63 million. And they're like, okay, we can do it for that. We can, make so, it, we can, but, we can pinch pennies. Um, what what, what that, if they say no? They, what if, if they, they say no? They say, no we gave you $10 million. You're in an enormous amount of trouble because that's straight yeah. up fraud. You're like, you're yeah, like, exactly right. You well, gave no, us I mean, it's just over budget, but significantly over budget. Okay. Yeah, it's probably fraud. Now that I say it out loud. But <laughs> yeah, I no, actually, that feels like fraud to me. I yeah, mean, yeah. Now Hollywood, that I think they call it, it something else. But yeah, that feels like fraud. But so, the thing is, like, that has happened to other people. We've had many stories. Well, not many. We've had a handful of stories in Hollywood which have the same trajectory, like Ishtar, yeah, which right. did not actually pan out. And no. like um, uh, um, uh, Boondock Saints, which we did before Robbie's time, I think, right? Or did we do Boondock Saints? No, we did Boondock Saints with you. Yeah, I was, There's I was several you of those Saints, where yeah. the, the, the big picture idea that didn't quite work in Hollywood but worked in the director's head yeah. kind of pans out. But it's so rare. So what a huge multi-million dollar risk yeah. they took. And panned out. Huge risk. And but they were right. Let's talk about this. This is this is amazing. Of course, this I can't say this was a star making moment for Keanu Reeves because he was already a star, but this kind of this was the icing on the cake, perhaps. Well let's so, hold on there. Look at his few films right before this, though. He was he kind of came up and then was Johnny kind Nevonic, of melting. Bill and Ted. He hadn't done point break yet, had he? No. Nope. Okay. So this but the people who are considered for this. Both Will Smith and Nicolas Cage formerly formally turned down the role of Neo. Will Smith said no so that he could make Wild Wild West. Will Smith, <laughs> Will Smith has done fine. It didn't hurt him too much. He's a big, big dollar guy. Owen McGregor turned down Neo because he was filming Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Yeah, I have I to step back out for, okay for one you. second to Will Smith, who chose to make Wild Wild West instead of The Matrix. Yes, he's fine. Yeah. But who would have he been had he been Neo? Like, oh my goodness, who would that man have been had he been Neo? And not the mechanical spider guy. And the the smartest guy in the room in this conversation apparently is John Cusack because he lobbied hard for the role. He wanted the role big time. He saw what was going on. Tom Cruise, Johnny Depp, David Duchovny, David Schwimmer, and Leonardo DiCaprio were all also reportedly considered before the filmmakers settled on Keanu Reeves for the part. So that is... Settled, settled on. Settled on. <laughs> settled on. And it's probably, you got, the, the Wachowskis did so many other things so right in this movie, you have to think, out of all of that amazing talent and that box office power mentioned right there, they're like, this is the, this is the right guy. We need to get this sweet, innocent-faced guy to do all this crazy stuff, mm-hmm. and it worked out famously. All right, well, let's do the same thing with Morpheus then, okay. right? I mean, we talk about... And would anyone else have stood with their arms crossed behind their back the way? I mean, I can't even freaking do it. Uh, it's, like, it's very uncomfortable. He spends the, every time he's standing there, he's got his arms crossed behind his back. Who else would have done that? Nobody. But here's some of the names that they considered. Russell Crowe, Gary Oldman, Val Kilmer, Chow Yun-Fat, uh, Sean Connery, and Samuel L. Jackson were all considered for the part of Morpheus. But uh, thankfully, they believed uh, they believe Lawrence Fishburne when he said, I get it, I'm in. They gave him the part, and the rest is history because he was just perfect, and absolutely I will, perfect. I will say this. This is the thing that there's several um, there's several other movies that this cast and these directors make together, right, sometimes, So, or the cast especially. So Hugo, we, 
Hugo Weaving and Carrie Ann Moss go on to do Memento mm-hmm. together. And then they all come back together. So, And, of course, uh, John Wick includes Keanu Reeves and Lawrence Fishburne in very powerful yin and yang kind of roles again. So I kind of love this idea that the Matrix sort of pops into our world as this whole universe that is still kind of accreting star-making vehicles because the relationship between Neo and Morpheus, I I posit, exists between Lawrence Fishburne and Keanu Reeves in John Wick as well. That same kind of back and forth energy, like we need each other to survive, kind of energy. Yeah, I think I think it, it, uh, exists in both. Uh, as long as we talk about all of the people who are considered for all the roles, and obviously at some point, this is the first film for the Wachowskis. The, there's some huge second. second film. Well, they did they did Bound. Before yeah. this, which also had Joey Pants in it, which is also a frick. If you've never seen Bound, oh my God, go watch Bound. Gina Gershon great, great and Gentilia's partners. But they, wow. the yeah. clearly, it's Hollywood worth it, knew, honestly, just for that. Eh? Thanks for pointing that out. Yes. So that, Hollywood knew something was up with this movie because so many people, so many yeah. giant stars considered this role for the role of Trinity. Janet Jackson was approached to play the role of Trinity, turned it down because scheduling clashed with her tour. Keep in mind, at that point, Janet Jackson was one of, if yeah, not the um, biggest pop star on the planet. Absolutely. No and doubt. as a massive sci-fi fan, she was upset about it. She later referred to the film in the intro and outro interludes of her 10th studio album, Discipline, which was huge. Jada Pinkett Smith auditioned for the part of Trinity and even screen tested, but had no chemistry with Keanu Reeves. Michelle Yeoh and Jennifer Beals were considered for the role of Trinity. So there's a lot of... Yeah. High-level actresses and, and famous people at the time were considered for that role. And you can think of things like Jennifer Beals absolutely proved proved herself as a physical actress. She could do mm-hmm. the work, right? It, I bet she could have done the work at whatever age she was at when The Matrix was being filmed, too, um, because that role required such a physicality. I, I yeah. find it fascinating that Carrie Ann Moss, of course, always appears as an action hero, where Jennifer Beals, having done a feminine version of of action in the dancing, she is not often considered for sort of action hero roles like right. Linda Hamilton is and Carrie Ann Moss yeah. is and things like that. It's pretty interesting. I also wonder if Jennifer Beals could have acted like she didn't have a sprained foot. I'm just <laughs> saying. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's all I'm saying. Uh, with with an athletic background, I can tell you, acting like you don't have a sprained foot is not an easy bit of acting. That takes a lot of focus. Um the lead actors trained every day for four months, for four months, in order to pull off the fight scenes. Just like the Hong Kong martial arts movies that influenced them, the Wachowskis wanted the actors, not stunt people, to be the ones fighting on screen. If you've not gone back and watched the Hong Kong action flicks from the late 80s and the early 90s, yep. it's that this further compounds the amazing ability of the Wachowskis to pull off this hodgepodge of influences, the crazy mythos world building, the pure sci-fi, and all of it mixed into a straight American action, Hong Kong action film. There's so much Hong Kong action flicking this. The high wire stuff, all of the really highly coordinated, well-executed combat scenes. Well, it, it does it does not work if you have an, a stunt double playing these parts. And yeah. this is an interesting thing that you bring up because the um, the stunt coordinator for this movie, his name was Wen Wu Ping. Okay. And uh, he is one of the biggest, or was at the time especially, one of the biggest fight choreographers uh, in very high demand at the time. And he was asked to, to consider doing this movie and didn't want to do it. Didn't want to deal with West, didn't want to deal with, he wanted disciplined actors and everything else. So he just named an outrageous price. 
and was like, fine, they'll negotiate. And I'll be like, nope, don't have time. They never negotiated once. <laughs> Not one time. They were like, yes, please. And then he was like, oh, no, no, no. Also, I need to have complete creative control over all of the choreography for the, the fights, thinking they'd be like, okay, well, it's, I mean, it's Keanu Reeves. And they were like, okay. <laughs> and that was it. And he became the bike coordinator. And you actually, a choreographer, sorry. And you actually see quite a lot of that discipline because one of the hallmarks of, of uh, Hong Kong martial arts choreography, especially at this time with like Old Boy and all that other stuff, is these characters are doing all the work themselves. So if it's a fight, yep. if it's a dinner scene, if it's a... If it's a martial arts fight as opposed as opposed to a bar fight, they're doing all the work themselves. And that's what he insisted on. And you can really I think that combined with what Robbie was saying at the top of the hour of the the uh, physicality of everything and the practical effects every way they could do it make you feel very specifically placed in this completely fictional universe. They literally tell you the Matrix isn't real. Mm -hmm. And then you cringe when people get hit, you know, anyway, because it's all so very visceral to the humans you're watching go through that, I think. That was one of the few... Uh one of the few hand-wavy parts of this movie, along with, you know, why don't they use livestock for the batteries and things like that, is that you're in this imaginary world, but you're still taking a beating to the point where you've got some kind of internal damage that, that makes you bleed. So that uh, as, as a creator of many different worlds and a world builder in my own work, and I've done stuff where, like, I'm going to create this whole myth mythos, this whole world that you've never seen before and make you believe it's real is really, 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 really hard to do yep. and keep it consistent. And while the Warkowskis did an, an absolutely incredible job, one of the best jobs ever at it, there's still a few rough patches where they just, you could not you could not dial that down. And you have to yeah. wonder if they probably had bigger explanations and write number seven, write number eight, rewrite number nine. Eventually, like, we're just going to have to let these elements go because we want to see the guy in the chair with blood in his face. Except here we are in 2021, and we I, this is a definitely a very thin reach. I am telling you I am reaching. But in 2021, we're learning about the connection between your brain and your gut. And if your gut health isn't good, maybe you get depressed, which doesn't make any sense in our world knowledge as it currently is. But if our brain can affect our body, our body should be able to affect our brain and I think that kind of works in The Matrix. It might not have worked in 1999. And to be fair, maybe that's too far afield and it doesn't work now. But I sort of <laughs> think it does. <laughs> Rob, what else you got on this movie for us? Well, uh, let's go to the most important thing, of course, uh, the S&M Club. Uh, hello. That's, uh, you know, How it opens have we not up he, talked about it already? Exactly right. He follows the White Rabbit and it's this great S&M Club and this freaking, you know, Rob Zombie music playing, right? It's like, yeah, all right, yeah. And... The funny thing is, you know, you look back and go, wow, they really went all out with these <laughs> actors and the costumes and all the extras in the background. Nope. That was a real S&M club <laughs> in Sydney, Australia, called the Hellfire Club, which all X-Men fan will be familiar with the yep, Hellfire yes, Club. Good but point. they basically just put it out there and said, listen, everybody show up like it's a regular night at the S&M club, and we're just going to have a whole bunch of cameras shooting scenes for a movie. So... Everyone in the background is just a regular at that Hellfire S&M club. It's and great. they're just in the background wearing their clothing. And I got to tell you, seems like one, a fun way to keep the budget down. <laughs> and two, a fun way to have the instant after party ready to go when he has Rob, <laughs> when one of our movies gets made, we're going to make sure. Now, okay, we're greenlit. We're going to add a scene. And it's going to be <laughs> it's just, an S&M club. It's just one gonna... scene. It's in a Sydney S&M club, yeah. and uh, well, the shooting's going to end early that day. It's fine. 
<laughs> Shooting's going to end early that day. Some simulacra in simulation by French philosopher Jean Baudrillard was required to be read by most of the cast and crew. You, you are the best French reader you, ever. The Jean Baudrillard. Baudrillard. Wow. wow, you guys. <laughs> How do you pronounce it? Baudrillard. Uh, Jean. Oh, uh, wait, I see. Hang on. Baudrillard. Baudrillard. It's B-D. Yes, but. D's pronounced yes, G? But not there. It's it is French. In the Beaujolais. Jean yeah, Beaujolais. It's definitely not Beaujolais. <laughs> As John Bergarder. <laughs> John Bergarder from Des Moines. It was one of the Rakowski's influences with themes and philosophy of the film. It's also the book that Neo hides things in. And when I, I did not Lever. know this to you guys. A, and Rob did the research. But I watch it. I'm like, I'm going to have to look that up when I watched it last night. Because clearly they showed us the name of the book for a reason. Now I know the reason. And I now didn't have to look it up. Why. And you guys are yep. great. <laughs> also, so this is... is one thing. I'm oh, sorry. But let me no, jump okay. in here. I... Did not see this movie in the theater on its initial run. I totally missed this movie. And it's odd because, you know, it made like, you know, $170 million domestically and opened up at like $27 million first weekend. But it came out in March of 99. It wasn't until I'm watching the Oscars in early 2000 mm -hmm. that it won. It was nominated in four categories, uh, what, editing, uh, sound design, sound editing, and special effects. Special effects. And won all four of them. Wow. And my wife at the time and I are sitting there going, what is this movie? And it's funny. After they accepted their fourth award, the Wachowskis, as they were walking off stage, just yelled because the music was playing, right? They got played off, right? What is the Matrix.com? And literally, we went to the computer and went, what is the matrix.com? And it showed everything. And so we had that. Was Netflix around by then? However, we got a DVD, watched it. And then a few years later, it came back out again in the theaters. And so I got to see it on the big screen. Now, but the DVD, oh, yeah, right before we visited. The yeah. DVD was yeah. a groundbreaking thing. I remember watching the DVD with our friend Bernie. And it was one of the first, one of the first movies to take advantage of the DVD format. You could follow uh -huh. the white rabbit. You could put in all these yes. subtitles. You could have, every time a rabbit shows up and it's frequent, a little white rabbit would appear on the screen. They did all of this stuff that I don't think people had really done before no. to immerse like, okay, this is a digital format. We can add context to the movie. We can add different things to the movie aside from just a director's commentary, et cetera. And so the Wachowskis were even way, and that could have been the marketing department, you don't know, but the whole, con everything about the Matrix from top to yeah. bottom was so ahead of the curve from special effects that had never been done before, ever, ever been done before, from doing things with a DVD that had never been done before. It's really just a masterwork and stepping back from the actual screenplay in the film and trying to look at things in a broader context. What is TheMatrix.com? Things like that. It's just absolutely They're amazing. work. They're absolutely amazing. And yeah, with a little, a little white rabbit would appear on the screen every once in a while. And if you hit like enter on your remote control on your DVD player, it would take you to like a separate scene. And that's how the first time it pops up is when that 360 of Trinity is going on. Mm -hmm. And so you can do that. And it like is a behind the scenes. Here's how we shot that. And it was, you know, the series of cameras every three feet all the way around her. And they show you how they edited it all together. And it's just like, oh my God, it's like the best commentary ever. Yeah. And then when it's done, it takes you right back to that moment in the movie. It was just so clever. They just... The Wachowskis just think outside the box. They it's they like really there do. is no yeah. box for them. They are just yeah. always yeah, yeah. outside of the box. It's pretty impressive. Um, it's interesting that neither one of you saw this movie in the theater. I yeah. wonder, especially, I know, Robbie, you're a bit more uh, 
I'm a bit more like you, a big movie buff, and you mm-hmm. love movies but are so busy. Yep. Um, but especially sci-fi, though. It really feels like it should have been in our wheelhouse. It, oh, for sure. It's super surprising to me. I will tell, tell you this. I saw this and The Blair Witch Project at mm. the same theater, which happened wow. to be the Angelica in New York, and obviously not at the same time, but... I saw the Blair Witch. I mean, I'm sorry. I saw the Matrix and we're like, cool, this was badass. Which has all these groundbreaking, really brand new effects, especially bullet time, especially the 360 practical effects with the camera, all that stuff. And we see that a few times. We see that with Trinity when she goes up like this in the beginning. We see it in the lobby scene when she's twirling over one of the pillars. We see it over and over again. Thought, cool, bro. That was awesome. See the Blair Witch Project with all the little like tw- twig found yeah, right. artifact. Like exact I'm completely opposite. convinced. I'm completely convinced when I go in. I know that it's probably marketing, but I oh. am terrified. That was. Uh, I was terrified, and was I a, can't believe they're a similar. They're a similar. Movie. Another film of somebody who who liked the Wachowski's got the medium, got the concept of. Here's the internet. This is a new thing that is finally yeah. becoming true. We can show graphics. We can show video. We can do all these things. Like Blair Witch and this movie both, they were really like, here's this whole other form of expression that we can put things on. And that's what made the Blair Witch seeding that site before the movie came out was uh, what made it. But here's juggernaut. what's interesting to me, listening to you guys talk about not having seen The Matrix in the theater. So those both those movies came out in the same year. Mm-hmm. And... Blair Witch absolutely traded on the idea that the internet was new and scary and weird in a very 1999 way. And The Matrix did it sort of in a 2050 way. You know, like they were looking at things that we didn't quite understand at the time. But if you look at it, like you can't, and I'm not at all diminishing the work that The Blair Witch Project did at all. Um, But The Blair Witch Project literally dead ends because they start at the max that we are willing to believe. Uh, in 1999 as human beings. And the Matrix sort of starts right there. They're like, cool, you have no idea where we're... We don't even... Well, no, we know where we're going because we're elevated people or whatever. But so I find it interesting that the Matrix has lasted and and grown from there, but the but the Blair Witch... I would like to point out, for those of you who have followed A&I for a few years, you may be familiar with our... When we put out the hardcover of The Rookie, book one of the GFL series... And we didn't know what we were doing. We put out a hardcover book with 16 color plates inside, signed, numbered, limited edition. And A, who's an excellent logistician, assumed that the actual, once we got the books in, it would take uh, would take five nine-hour days. Five nine-hour days for us to package the book, ship the book, get it out to all of you. A, how long did that actually take? It took nine 14-hour days instead of five <laughs> nine-hour days. <laughs> we were screwed if we didn't get this book. If we didn't get the book out, we were dead flat broke and everything. No, tell them tell them about the, how the Rakowskis went through something similar. Yeah, so we mentioned earlier that they literally gambled the, the their entire movie budget to get a bigger movie budget, and that worked. They also were greenlit for a 90-day cycle of filming. Yeah. They had to get to Australia— didn't count the um, the training of their actors, which also took place in Australia and New Zealand. But they got to New Zealand and they had – or Australia and they had 90 days once training was complete to shoot the movie. And it took them 118 days. It's insane. And I work in logistics and entertainment all the time, not just with Scott. I have uh, other and, – and I will tell you the – that that is so many days over budget. <laughs> I can't – like two days over budget is a huge negotiation. What is that, 28 days over budget? My goodness gracious, I can't even imagine. And, and our budget was the two of us. I mean, can you imagine? Yeah. 
so much film and crew. And yeah. Just the, the amount of time it took them to get this stuff right was crazy. The Morpheus scene alone took six months to prepare for and to plan. The, the Morpheus rescue scene, excuse me. It's bonkers. Yeah, and, and I mean, and, and like the, um, the, the Carrie Ann Moss scene at the beginning. Yep. Took months, months to plan. plan and weeks to shoot. I mean, and, but here's the interesting thing. This is why they probably had all that extra time. By shooting in Australia, the tax rules were so different at the time. Mm -hmm. Their $60 million budget was like $180 million budget in the U.S. So by filming in Australia, they saved themselves so much money that probably the people were like, well, okay, yes, this is an extra $3 million to go Mm -hmm. an extra, you know, 10 days. But you just saved us $50 million by shooting in Australia. So I guess we'll be okay with that. Yeah, it's kind of crazy to think of that, though. And you find again and again that this movie, um, uh, this franchise, I will say for myself, comes back to the well and does it reasonably well, but doesn't always do what the first Matrix did. And I believe part of that is because the first Matrix Mm -hmm. was so mind-blowing that that kind of fuzzed up a lot of the other maybe critical movie going movie movie going person things I would have thought I'm like mm-hmm. cool don't matter that's very pretty with the bullet time. <laughs> I have a I have a question yeah. for both you may know this Rob. Uh, was there a product placement for Duracell batteries because we got to see one, and then in the scene in the car with Trinity for the first yeah. time when they find the bug in his body they re- switch refers to him as Copper Top. Copper Top, of course, is the marketing slang for the Duracell brand of batteries, which is also the battery Morpheus shows Neo as he explains how the human race became an energy source. Did they get paid for that? I I would like to think so. I mean, they could have used EverReady. They could have used any other battery brand, um, you know, and just changed uh, Switch's insult uh, of Neo when he gets in the car, when mm-hmm. she's basically calling him, oh, shut up, battery. And that's pretty much what she says. You're living your life as a battery, a jackass. Yep. Right? So um, if they didn't, I hope they did, right? Or at least I hope, you know, like, like Duracell started making commercials, you know, with, with Morpheus or somebody, you know, holding a battery because oh. it would have been pretty clever. But I, uh, I would have bought batteries I also think, um, Fishburne's Morpheus yeah. was showing the battery. I'm like, I'll buy that battery. <laughs> yeah, that battery. Exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, yeah, if Samuel Jackson is willing to get out there and tell me to buy Duracell batteries, then, you know, just, no, you're just going to let that go. And I call yeah. him Samuel Jackson. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, so, I thought there right. was going to be a big anyway. finish. I was waiting for the big <laughs> yeah, ending. that's right. No, no. It was good. Yeah. You're like, so, I'm um, just no, waiting for you to pick it up. Yeah. <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah, I'm sorry. Well, um, let's talk about Switch a little bit because in the original scripts, and it's interesting that, you know, now the Wachowskis are transgendered women. Um, and when they made this, they were the Wachowski brothers, right? So, um, but Switch in original iterations was supposed to be a female in the Matrix and a male in real life. When they switched back, it was supposed to still have, you know, the bleach blonde hair so you knew who it was, mm-hmm. but it was supposed to be a man um, in real life because, oh. again, the Matrix is the the outer showing of what we feel our inner oh. selves to yeah. be. it's cool. And it, it really front celled the transition that both Wachowski sisters would go through um, years after this. But I... I think that would have been, I think it would have been clever. It would have been a clever way to kind of show. Is that something they wanted to do that the studios pushed back against? Or they just said, ah, this is too confusing. I I think it probably was a little too confusing. And it probably meant, you know, you have to hire another actor. And then you have to try and make sure they kind of physically resemble each other. And honestly, it's just going to be easier and less confusing. We're already making a bunch of confusing crap up. Let's not add one more layer to the confusion. Right. So, and right. there's also this perfect um, 
representation of the matrix versus the real world again in um, in that same the scene where we first see switch and the copper top battery in that moment where they're where they have the bug inside Neo. Oh, yeah. Because when they're using their machine in the real world against his belly that has the little ultrasound on it, what they see on the ultrasound is absolutely part of the matrix. It's a it's a it's a biological bug and it's got mm-hmm. tentacles and it swirls and everything. What you see go into Neo and what you see come out of Neo is very much a tracking device, not at all biological, doesn't have flagellum, doesn't have any of that. Yep. So you when when they're looking at the digital screen in the matrix, they are seeing a fiction. Um and I find that super interesting because that is um so much of, of course, the matrix Clever. itself is is dig- digital versus uh, biologic. Um, so I think, you guys, I think we're almost done because we're almost to 3 p.m. Uh-oh. I got, oh, I got, oh, uh, oh, well, okay. I got Mr. Right, Anderson, Mr. Anderson. <laughs> and Agent Smith back with me. So you guys, um, you better read eh? cause I can't see. Crap. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm not putting on my glasses since we can't read. So, um, this is it for this week's Story Smack. Um, we Woo-hoo. Story Smack happens every second Saturday of the month. The next one is January 8th, 2022. The three of us will be back discussing Scream because Scream 5 is out on January 14th. Sweet. Sweet. <laughs> is that that's it? If you guys want, I don't know if you can read the script, but both of you are done. We're here. Oh, I see. <laughs> yeah. Do you yes. like to talk I, I, about scary movies? Scream, Scream is another one. Some of my favorite scripts ever are Blair Witch Project because they had no money, not even enough money to mm-hmm. hide cameras. So they said to themselves, how can we write the fact that we're, the camera guy is going to be in the shots? How do we write that into the film? Yep. And they did that. And then another one, of course, is Scream. Scream was the first movie to be like, Okay, we everybody knows there's this math of tropes in a horror movie, in a slasher film. What if the people in the film know all the tropes and talk about the tropes that are happening in the movie? So it's an absolutely it, it's an absolutely brilliant, brilliant first ever somebody somebody coming up with that genius moment that nobody's ever done before, and that is why it's spectacular. I'm so excited about doing Scream. It was meta before anyone knew what meta was. I think that and it described it is meta done to explain it perfectly. It was it was yeah, it was sure. incredible and fun and campy. So we'll be back on January eighteenth. January what eighth? Eighth discussing scream. Yep. yep. All right. Thank you, Robbie. Rob. Thank you so much. We'll see you soon. Always good to see you, Sigler. Goodbye, Mister Anderson. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. Go back Bye-bye. to Maine. All right. Looks like the sun came out. My threw off all my lighting, but it makes it my does. glasses look With damn this, good. Yes, sun came out. <laughs> so that is it for episode seventy-seven of Story Smack. You can find Scott and I online. Scott is at Scott Sigler on Twitter and Instagram, and. His Facebook page is facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. I am at a real girl on Twitter and at a dot real dot girl on Instagram. And you can find us online at facebook.com slash story smack. We live stream story smack every second Saturday of the month at the facebook.com slash Scott Sigler, twitch.tv slash Scott Sigler, and youtube.com slash Scott Sigler. And in addition to story smack, we do a once weekly during the pandemic live stream called Sigler in place. It's on Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. Pacific time, right where you're watching this now. And we will probably talk about the chicken on a biscuit story in the next Sigler in place. <laughs> and we release an unabridged episode of a serialized novel every week. You can get episodes for free every Sunday via iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more. Just go to scottsigler.com slash subscribe for links. 
And uh, for at least one more week, the first season of Scott's Rad Friday Afternoon Show, Monster of the Week, where he talks to uh, pop culture scientists, actors, uh, screenwriters about their favorite uh, TV pop culture, or sorry, pop culture monster, is exactly where you're watching this. And that is every Friday afternoon uh, at 4 p.m., is it? Yes. Uh, And the next season, uh, this first season ends next Friday. So come check it out before it ends for this season. Yep. And uh, we hope you subscribe so that you can hear Scott's books and more Story Smack goodness in the future. And until the next episode, ladies and gentlemen, how far down the rabbit hole will you go? (laughs) And we will talk to you all real soon. minutes. A transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.